Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. I hope that you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right at it. Later on, we're going to meet stand-up comedian K. Trevor Wilson. You know him as the long-winded Squirrely Dan on Letterkenny. He makes the most delicious trail mix, Katie, and I got to say, that's what I appreciate about you. Is that what you appreciate about me? You're pretty good at wrestling there, Katie, and that's what I appreciate about you. Is that what you appreciate about me? You appreciate my metaphors, Katie, and that's what I appreciate about you. Or maybe you've seen him do stand-up on the Jimmy Kimmel Show, or perhaps you're a fan of his acerbic jabs on Roast Battle Canada. Today, he stops by to talk about his latest project, LOL, Last One Laughing Canada. It's a six-part competition series on Amazon Prime where 10 of the best comedic talents from Canada are pitted against one another in a celebrity showdown. As the clock counts down, their objective is to eliminate others from the house by making each other laugh. But here's the important part. They can't laugh themselves. We'll get to more of that later on in the show. First, let's get to know David Pevsner. Over the course of his 35-year career in show business, David has done it all. He's acted on Broadway, off-Broadway, in independent films, and on numerous TV shows, including Grey's Anatomy, Modern Family, and Criminal Minds. Now, he's added author to his resume. Damn Shame is his new memoir. It's a passionate and poignant look at one journey from a thin, shy boy ashamed of his body and sexuality to a defiant, fearless person exploring his erotic desires. David Pevsner joins me via Zoom from his home in Los Angeles. Tell me, and this is a quote, tell me how a skinny, ugly Jewish kid filled with shame became one of the few men in their 60s with a page on uh, OnlyFans. Let's start there and then we'll move backwards. Well, I don't know that I'm one of the only ones. I think there's actually a bunch. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not a typical thing. It's not what most people would think would be typical. You know, people think OnlyFans is for, you know, younger, hotter, this, that, the other thing. And um, I'm here to say no. If you have something to say, if you have something to express, whether it's, you know, a sexual thing or making pies, um, OnlyFans is the place for you. You know, it's a great way to express yourself. It's a great way to make a little extra cash, you know. Um, it's been nothing but a pleasure for me. And and this attitude that you have, though, is, I'm not going to say it's new, but it certainly wasn't there when you were a younger person. A great deal of your book, which is called The Damn Shame, a memoir of desired defiance and show tunes, uh, is about overcoming shame. So yeah. tell me a little bit about why you were filled with shame and, and what effect it had on you when you were a, a, a younger man. Well, um, it's hard to say, you know, where it all starts. It's just from whenever I can remember just being a really, really little boy and being ashamed of my body, of not wanting to be seen in a bathing suit, of not wanting to be seen in the showers at the JCC. Um, it was just, I was always embarrassed. I felt really skinny. I, I felt like it was abnormal, even though like at the JCC, you know, there'd be all these guys just kind of walking around, you know, shamelessly, not even thinking about it. Whenever I would see them, I'd be like, how do you do that? How do you like, you know, put on a towel or take off a towel and have a conversation with, you know, just about like stocks or whatever. 
And how do you do that without like wanting to cover yourself up? I, I, I was just gobsmacked by that. Um, and, and, you know, then getting made fun of in, in grammar school and gym class and being called a f and, you know, all of that really lovely stuff that you don't, all, all I knew is it hurt me. It hurt my mm -hmm. feelings, but I didn't really know what it was doing to me on a larger scale. Um, and then tell me then how you eventually figure that out. We'll talk about the workout journey, which was certainly part of that. Uh, but tell mm -hmm. me about that. You internalize as a young person, I think, so much uh, yeah. that it, 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 it has to find a release valve somewhere, somehow, for some people perhaps like you, it took a, a longer time to find it. Other yeah. people find it earlier, but what was, what was the release valve for you? Um, well, I think there's a, there's an incident that I talk about in the book where um, I'm home on my way to go to a, a cruise ship job mm -hmm. and I needed to get my passport and my sister was there and her, and, and they were on their way to Florida to move to Florida. It's kind of a longish story, but my sister, you know, my beyond everybody else, kind of picking on me. My sisters picked on me. They were typical older sisters. And at one point I was mad at her because I needed to get into the room. My nephew was sleeping and she's like, well, you can't get in there. Not until he wakes up. And it was like really kind of bitchy, you know? Um, and finally he did wake up. I went in and I got my, my stuff and I started unloading on her. I was like, you knew that this would happen. And, and, and my sister was started to do that kind of petulant thing, you know, mouthing everything that I was saying. And I went over to her and I lifted my hand and I was about to slap the crap out of her. Like totally. I lost control of myself. I lifted my hand and I stopped myself. And that was the moment because that was the moment that I was like, Nobody talks to me that way. Mm -hmm. I, and it's not even that. It's like, I won't let people talk to me that way. I won't let people make me feel ashamed anymore. You know, and that was, you know, that was a, a, a before my junior year of college. And then at school, they were so crappy to like, you know, the teachers, if you were Latin, if you were a little effeminate or overweight, they were really merciless. You know, they were like, you're not going to work. You know, you're less. We always felt like as gay boys, we were less. And so but they were teachers and I never talked back to them. You're listening to my interview with David Pevsner, author of Damn Shame, a memoir available now wherever fine books are sold. So it kind of gave me the sense after college, it gave me the sense that you do not let people talk to you that way. That's when I knew it. And you don't let people make you feel that way. Then it was a little bit more time for me, especially the physical stuff to get a little more used to owning it and saying, here I am. Screw you. <laughs> and yeah, it's that moment where you find agency over yourself. But even then, uh, at that point, as you say, it took a little while. And then something happened called the workout journey. And yeah. this is something, I mean, it's it's fairly self-explanatory, I guess, in, in the very name of it. But tell me what you got out of it, because it's more than just uh, going to the gym and, and pumping yourself up. Uh, that That's a side of it. That's an element of it, but there's more to it than that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it wasn't just like I went, I worked out, I got bigger, I felt good. It wasn't just that, you know, um, I was always attracted to guys with kind of more muscular builds growing up. And, and, and I was this skinny little thing. Um, and I kind of would always be like, it was just, it was a very low self-esteem thing. I didn't feel good about myself rather than feel good about who I was, whatever I was, 
I felt like I wanted something else. And so I did. I started, I was on tour with um, a production of South Pacific with Robert Goulet. And when you do shows like that, Robert Goulet, Robert Goulet, my God, Robert Goulet. Well, and and when you do shows, Canadian Robert Goulet. You're, you're, that's you're, right. You're Canada, that's right. So. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. Um, and I, we have a lot of free time whenever we go to these cities that we go to for a week at a time. And there were other guys in the show who were working out. And I figured, you know what? I'm going to try it. And I always imagined like my skinny arms were going to like snap if I lifted too much weight. But I started to do it. I read magazines. A friend of mine on the tour kind of talked me through stuff. And I started to work out like four hours a day. Mm. And I really transformed my body on the outside. Did I transform it on the inside? That took a little while. But um, it was the beginning of changing myself physically and becoming more what I was looking for in other guys mm. that helped my self-esteem in a certain respect. But I had a lot of inner stuff that I needed to deal with, too. So it was a little bit like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. But for the most part, it was a very good first step towards becoming the authentic person I really wanted to be. As a working actor, sometimes everyone, you have ups and downs and moments when you're not working as much and moments when you're working all the time. But you took a job as a, a naked maid. Considering where your story begins to that moment, that's a huge leap. Tell me about the first time that you did that and and what it meant to you. Well, I, I was starting to, the more I built myself up, the more I was kind of being a bit of an exhibitionist. Mm. And and kind of like wore little little tank tops and little tight shorts and stuff and and that felt good to me. Whatever whatever was on people's faces, sometimes it was ooh, and sometimes it was like ugh, you know. But I didn't care because I was feeling I was feeling my oats. I was kind of you know expressing myself the way I never could. The shame was gone. So I a friend of mine told me that he did that he was a naked maid that he was getting a lot of um, requests that he couldn't handle, would I maybe do it? And I thought, okay, you know, what a, what a weird thing. However, you know, I loved cleaning. <laughs> I loved kind of exhibiting myself. I thought, well, this is a no brainer. Luckily, the first time I did any of this stuff, I was with really great people. Because the, the, of, the trajectory could have changed if not, right? Oh, totally. If the first one went bad, I would have been like, see ya, you know, but I literally, I mean, I was, I was kind of nervous. So I know that I walked in and, and his house wasn't that dirty or anything like that. But, you know, and sometimes um, I would get hired to just kind of like be the ornament, mm -hmm. even though the house it was never heavy cleaning. Like I never went in and went, oh my God, I'm naked in a hoarder situation. It was never that. Um, but uh, the guy, I just remember, I kind of like stripped down. And as I stripped down, I was chattering and I, started cleaning fully naked um i'm trying to remember i think this was the guy who he did not now it was strange because he did not follow me around he was in his den doing some paperwork it was really surfacey cleaning it was quite right. you know it wasn't too bad but it's it's the whole thing that when i finally got into that room and i was naked and he was not that i understood it was kind of the excitement of having a naked guy kind of show up you know, and it wasn't everybody like this, but this was this one. You're listening to my interview with David Pevsner, author of Damn Shame, a new memoir available wherever fine books are sold. Things changed for you considerably, mostly so. 
self-motivated though, which is, is quite interesting. I mean, you say in the book that you couldn't say that you were gay until you were in college, even though you had always known, but yeah. you overcame that. You overcame the, the, the body shaming that you had felt. You overcame the nagging and, and uh, teasing of your sisters. And well, it's I'm, I'm a pretty resourceful from- guy. Mm-hmm. I'm a pretty resourceful guy and I'm not one who likes to sit in my misery because right. I've right. done that. I certainly have done that. But there comes a point where whether it's, you know, a month or a couple of years where if you're there, I, I mean, I really encourage people to kind of, you know, dig a little deeper, make a change, find somebody to talk to. Talking about it is really anything you're going through that is making you sad um, or making you feel inert. Um it's you're it's stuck in your head. It's roaming around. It's making you feel crappy, mm-hmm. shameful, all of it. Um, I really recommend talking to somebody, professional or friend or whatever. Get it out. Don't hold it in. Well, this is the interesting part of uh, damn shame, or one of the interesting parts of it to me was that your story is is very specific, and it's not my story. It is not exactly the story. There, there'll be some people that will absolutely relate to it uh, that are listening to this right now. Others that won't. But there's a universality to it. Out of it comes these universal truths. Well, I'm so glad you said that because that is exactly right. Um, I wouldn't. You know, some of this started as a show where I stood up on a stage. It started as a screenplay. It all happened to me, you know. I would not stand on a stage or write a book or, you know, put myself in a film where I just go, hey, look what I did. There has to be more resonance to, hey, look what I did. So that the guy, yeah, I mean, guys my age, my, my, you know, gay, whatever. Sure, that's the niche that it kind of, I think, is was aimed at in a certain respect, but I found by the more truth I told and the more honest about all of this I was, and I am brutally honest, Mm -hmm. the more other people have said to me, oh my God, they said exactly what you just said. It wasn't my experience, but I have so many things in my life that are like that. And, you know, I mean, you kind of have to have an open mind to read the book, certainly. But once you do, you'll, I just think, like you said, you'd be so surprised at how much you relate and how much you'll go, oh, my God, I had that, too, or that happened to me. You know, you may not have been a naked maid. You may not have been a hooker <laughs> like I was. But there are certain things in your life that certainly you felt either shame about or you you know, were judged about or whatever. Um, so, you know, my story, but your experience. Well, I often say that. I think that movies and storytelling in mass forms, movies and television, that sort of thing, are little machines for empathy, right? We get to a, a, a peek into somebody else's world, something that perhaps we've never experienced, but it, it gives up an overall view. And we all realize by the time that we've watched a documentary that's set in another country or on another continent uh, or whatever it might be a story or your story, we all realize that we just all kind of want the same stuff. We want safety for our families, a a warm place to sleep. We want food Uh, on the uh, table. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the universality 
uh, uh, that comes out of very specific things, but they're little machines for empathy. And I think the more uh, that we expose these stories, the more empathy uh, we will have. You're listening to David Pevsner on The Richard Krauss Show. He's the author of Damn Shame, a memoir available now wherever fine books are sold. And also the more different ways they're told. Right. You know, when you see a film that kind of goes somewhere that that you've never really seen before and you've experienced it as well in some respect, you go, wow. Like, it's, I, I always feel so grateful when I watch a film. Like, I, Tick, Tick, Boom. Mm. You know, watching that movie, I was kind of like, oh my God, this is one of the best representatives I've ever seen of the, or the pure artist trying to make his way in the world. Do you think that your longevity in... Uh, show business between acting uh, on and off Broadway uh, in the television and movies and things uh, has be or, or or you it is owed to your ability to uh, adapt and to find your way uh, in alternative ways. You know, you you set off on one path and ah, that's not really working, so I've got to make a, a sharp left turn here. It's not going to work. Well, there are many times I feel like jack of all trades, master of none, because I have done so many different things, including acting. And that's all acting has always been the, um, you know, the baseline of everything that I do. But personal organizing and writing songs and writing scripts and f the photography I do and and the book and everything, you know, I've always kind of just gone if I've had a creative blip. I've kind of been like, well, I have to I have to go with that. I have to satisfy that. And sometimes it takes me away from things like the acting career or whatever. So I, I am a little scattered all over the place, but that's my life. That's my journey. And I can't say like, hey, if I'd stayed in New York and not started writing and just went full, you know, whole hog theater, film, whatever, would I be, you know, the lead on Broadway? I don't know. You can never say that. You can never say that. Your journey is your journey. So, yeah, I mean... You can't, I can't change my history. And the fact that like, for instance, it all led to this book. Yeah. Like not, this book would not have happened without all the good stuff and the bad stuff of my history. And I happen to love the book. I think it's beyond being my story. Like we said, I think it's funny. I think it's relatable. And I think it's really kind of moving in that I'm 63 and I'm not where I want to be a hundred percent. I've got a journey still ahead of me. And if I die tomorrow, well, you know, you'll read about it. But <laughs> I, I do feel that, you know, if everybody really looks at their history and looks at the choices they've made, good and bad, they may feel a little better about themselves and be more forgiving of themselves for all the choices that they made and, and, and celebrate the, the great things that have happened without beating yourself up about the crappy ones. Is that something that came out of the writing of the book or is that something that you brought into the writing of the book? It was something that was kind of on the surface where I kind of understood it in a certain respect about, you know, respecting your history and, and knowing um, that you can't replace it. And so you can't regret it really, this, that, the other thing. But writing the book and kind of seeing the, the scope of what I have been through not only what what is the good and bad that has happened to me, but also the stuff that that I made happen. Mm. I kind of went, you know what? That's kind of amazing. <laughs> like I think it's kind of an amazing story because I was able to find find out how it resonated beyond me. 
to you, to anybody reading it. And I, you know, uh, I think it's easy to kind of look at a book like this, maybe even just from the cover and go, oh, he's going to talk about everybody he slept with. And he's going to talk about, you know, gay, 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 gay. And there's not a lot of me sleeping with people in this book, actually. Um, but there's a lot of, I think, really funny, interesting, moving stories that come to a conclusion of we are all works in progress. You are never done. That was David Pevsner. You've seen him on Grey's Anatomy, Modern Family, Criminal Minds, among many other television shows and movies. Now pick up his book, Damn Shame, and learn about the fascinating life journey that brought him to where he is today. Damn Shame is available wherever you buy fine books. Let's get to know comedian K. Trevor Wilson. You know him as Squirrely Dan on Letterkenny. You know, that's the guy who mysteriously adds S's to words that don't need to be pluralized. Yeah, no vinegars on the tables, no Kraft peanut butters. And you know him as a stand-up who has appeared at JFL, Just for Laughs, and on the Jimmy Kimmel Show, among many other places. Today, he stops by to talk about his latest project. It's called LOL, Last One Laughing Canada. It's a six-part competition series on Amazon Prime where 10 of the best comedic minds from Canada are pitted against one another in a celebrity showdown. As the clock ticks down, their objective is to eliminate others from the house by doing what they do best by making each other laugh, but while not laughing themselves. The show begins on Amazon Prime on February 18th. Here's K. Trevor Wilson on The Richard Krause Show. I have spent a fair amount of time uh, with comedians sitting at the back of the club. Uh, and what I have noticed is that comedians don't laugh at other people's jokes. They'll say, oh, that was very funny. They'll comment on it, but they don't laugh. So uh, does that mean that being on this show where you're trying to make other people laugh, was it harder or was it easier because of that? Uh, I mean, it was, these are all consummate, consummate pros on this show. So like, I'm one of those guys who laughs, you know, if, if it's a funny joke and I'm at the club, I'll laugh at it. And what I laugh at the most is when a joke goes wrong. Mm. If I'm in, if I'm watching another comic in the back of the room and I know where he's going with the joke, but I see that the audience isn't following him there and it's just awkward and painful. That to me is the funniest thing. I've gotten a lot of sarcastic. Thanks, Trev. Uh, for my laughs during stand-up sets before. <laughs> is it because uh, it's not you standing on that stage, seeing it, feeling it go sideways? Is that part of your joy in it? I don't know if it's so much that it's not me, because, I mean, Lord knows I've had enough of those moments myself, yeah. but it's just, like, when you when you understand, you know, what the comedy's supposed to be, like, I, I get the joke that they were trying to tell, even though they didn't quite get the jokes. Right. So I'm like, oh, that's clever. That's funny, but then also I'm going to take a little bit of time to enjoy your awkward pain because, you know, this moment sucks, but you'll get through it. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was it about comedy that made you think, this is where I belong, this is what I should be doing? Uh, you know, I, I started thinking about entertainment as a job when I watched uh, Uncle Buck with uh, really? John in it and... Uh, uh, I was a, already a long time John Candy fan, even though I was a kid. And uh, that was sort of the moment that I put it together in my head that this was a job that someone could have. 
Right. It was like, oh, like my dad goes to an office. John Candy goes and is Uncle Buck. That's got to be a way better job than going to the office. So I want to do that. And it was just like I was kind of a funny kid. My dad said I understood jokes before I was old enough to know. Like I knew things were funny before I could understand why they were funny. Right. He'd, he'd be watching shows of me and be like, there's no way he's going to get these references. There's no way he's going to understand it. But if he's sitting quietly, he's sitting quietly. And then I'd laugh at something. He'd have to be like, there's no way you get that. There's no way that you understand why that works. But I, I, apparently I just did. <laughs> Do you think that uh, watching those shows and, you know, John Candy with his amazing delivery and that sort of thing just sort of taught you a rhythm? I've heard a lot of comics talk about how uh, when they were younger, they'd listen to George Carlin albums or Richard Pryor albums or whatever it might be and memorize them. And you kind of learn the rhythm of how to tell a joke. Is that what you're thinking of here? I, I think that's definitely a part of it, just understanding the cadence to speech. And I think every every comedian their first few sets are them doing an impression of their favorite comedians right you know until they figure out what their voice is they're just up there doing what they think comedy is supposed to look like and uh you know for me like i came up uh listening to a lot of different comics uh, I, I actually once had a promoter say that when they watched my set it was like watching one joke from 100 different comics just like there's <laughs> you can see all these different influences and but i mean like you know i grew up you know on stephen wright and eddie murphy you know i grew up on uh, uh george carlin and robin williams right. so these were these were the tapes i was always playing in the car or the videos i was always renting from the store so i had a, i had a good cross-section of guys influencing me to escape the winter i went down and did shows in the states i learned something down in america there's a difference between Canadian and American foods. And that difference is Canadian food isn't actively trying to murder you. <laughs> Everything in the States was insane. It looked like it had been dipped in batter, rolled in butter, and had a Mars bar hidden in it. <laughs> but the biggest difference between Canadian and American foods can be found in the cereal aisle of the grocery store. I don't know if you've been in an American supermarket recently, but Canada, as a nation, is getting screwed over on sugar cereals. You're listening to K. Trevor Wilson on The Richard Krause Show. He is one of the stars of LOL, Last One Laughing Canada, which begins on February 18th on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and when did you find your own kind of voice at it? So you've, you've taken all those influences, uh, you work at it a little bit, but there, there, there comes a point where it just becomes you. And what was that point for you? I think I, like the moment for me, I was a, a few years into doing comedy and uh, I'd kind of been like, spreading myself, you know, like over all the different avenues. I had a sketch troupe and I was doing stand-up and I was going out and auditioning. And I was, you know, I say I was doing a lot of things poorly, but nothing really well. Right. You know, like I was passable at all, you know, the different things. But I, and when I focused on stand-up, when I was like decided, okay, stand-up is the one that I'm going to do, uh, that really helped, you know, sort of make it a focus in my head and clear it up. Then also I started playing pot rooms. I started playing the marijuana friendly sort of speakeasy style shows that were all over Toronto. And um, 
just because those crowds, it was really easy for them to lose focus. I started slowing down the pacing of my delivery, right. uh, really choosing my words more carefully and, and sort of catering the experience for the, the pothead crowd. And I was like, if this works with potheads, it might work with drunks. And so when I went into the normal comedy clubs, I just did the same thing. I just slowed right down and I took my time with everything. And it was also, I had, I had a lot of friends that I noticed that, you know, because when you're starting out, you only have so much stage time. And a lot of my buddies were rushing to get as many jokes as they could into those, you know, few minutes. And that didn't give the, con the audience a chance to enjoy the jokes at all. So I did the exact opposite. I tried to tell as few jokes as I could in five minutes and in, like revel in those silences and enjoy those laughs and use that, you know, get the audience moving in the show the way I wanted them to move. That takes some confidence though. The idea that you're going to sit there and revel in the silence is not something you hear a lot of comedians say. I think it comes from like I, you know, I, I started out acting before stand up. So, you know, I, I understood the power of silence, right. like, there's good silence and there's bad silence. There's the silence because they don't like you at all and they're just not with you. But then there's the silence where they're waiting for you to say the next thing. And if you get that silence, that is control over a room. I wasn't always single. I used to be in a relationship with a woman. But we had to break up. We really did. We kept having the same argument over and over again where... She would accuse me of being emotionally unavailable and secretive. So I would politely excuse myself from the conversation. <laughs> I'd go to the basement, lock the door. <laughs> and then I'd work on my project. You're listening to The Richard Krause Show and my interview with Kay Trevor Wilson. So this is based on a show that's been done elsewhere. They put a bunch of comics in a, in a house, and the goal is not to laugh. And if you do laugh, you're voted off. So it's kind of like Survivor with comedians. It's, uh, I, I guess, something like that. Uh, tell me about approaching something like that. Uh, did you go in with stuff in mind you must have known some of these people you might know their weak spots things that would normally make them laugh well i mean the only the only person i knew that was going to be involved with the show going in was uh jay you know jay uh, Baruchel. Okay. yeah um so everyone else uh they, they they kept us like sequestered they kept us separate we did not have any idea who else was on the show until we walked into the room or they walked into the room. So I had no idea who I was up against. You know, I, I had ideas. I had, you know, I, I, you know, rumors of who'd flown into the area recently right. and stuff like that. But really it was all like, uh, you know, I had no idea 100% who I was going up against until we walked in there. So it was impossible to prepare for these people, um, you know, impossible to get things ready. And, I think we all planned a lot of bits for this to try to, you know, we, we worked with the producers and the shows to come up with, with bits to try to nail our opponents. And I think a lot of that just got, just got thrown out. Once you're in the moment, you're like, Oh, 
I'm not going to do this in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're up against people like Deb G, D. Giovanni, uh, Dave Foley from the Kids in the Hall, uh, May Martin, Caroline Ray. Uh, and, you know, Jay Baruchel is there, who's also very funny. Jonathan Lajoli. So, I mean, these are these these are uh, pretty high level comics. Was there a, a, a moment that you felt uh, intimidated that you were uh, thinking that you had to be as sharp as you possibly could be it must be nerve-wracking you know you were like i mean for me i was more like hey like impressed by who was gathered in this room but it, it was actually a boost of confidence to be like wow people see me in the same light as they see these guys at least enough to invite me to do this so if they think i'm at their caliber game on let's do yeah. this <laughs> tell me what happens are you sitting around a table cracking I mean, jokes we, at one we, another we first walk in and they you know uh it's it's like a it's set up to look like a a, a luxury flat it was actually you know it is actually a studio but it, it's designed to look like a house that we're all uh stuck in and uh you walk down like they have these big lit up hallways and we walk down and the doors magically open and you walk into a room and uh, there was like a bar and a lounge area and sort of a stage area. They actually had a, uh, a band that would come in and out uh, mm -hmm. to, to do musical stuff. Then we had the locker rooms and the bathrooms off to the side to store our props for our bits. And, you know, in case we had to, because you're stuck in there for several hours, they had yeah. to give us a bed. Uh, so, I mean, you, you walk in and, and at first we were just kind of all hanging out. Uh, you know, when the game hasn't started, we were all just, and that actually is, is the dangerous part because it lulls you into that false sense of we just we let our guard down. We started having fun with each other, started just hanging out and chatting. Then they moved us all to the board table to give us the the rules and let us know that it, it was getting serious now. But mostly we were just, you know, lounging about, hanging around. <laughs> we learned very fast though that if you made a mess, they did not give you anything to clean it up. Right. <laughs> it sounds like uh, like a, a lot of fun to be part of. It is. It's a gig. It's a job, right? You want to you want to uh, put your best foot forward. Yeah, I mean, I think with anything you go in, uh, especially when you know uh, you get uh, the the prize is money for charity. Yeah. I think motivates you even more um, to, to to really really give it your best. And and yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to be the guy that sucks on this show. You know, you don't. <laughs> You're listening to Kate Trevor Wilson on The Richard Krause Show. He's one of the stars of LOL, Last One Laughing, which begins on February 18th on Amazon Prime. Well, it, it's a cool idea for a show. Um, you know, was it as much fun to do as it was to, or as, as it is to watch? It was a ton of fun. Like, I mean, it's a long day. You know, uh, when, when you're shooting that and uh, I, you, you'll probably see that, like, as it goes on, it's a it's a long day to be in <laughs> in a room. Yeah. Uh, but and it was a ton of fun. It was it was a great group of people. I mean, some uh, that uh, I, I, I've known for years and haven't seen in a long time and other people I've been a fan of forever and had never met. So it was such a wonderful group. And uh, it was it was really a great time. I, I wish. You know, going back, I wish I, I could have taken more time to enjoy just being in that situation. And, and I mean, it was also nice to be back at work at that time. And, and uh, you know, this was the middle of the summer mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, it had been and it had been a rough summer. Uh, so 
it was really nice to have that sort of moment to step out of my life and step out of my own head and, and just go and, and do something wacky for a day. Yeah, the pandemic uh, probably brought things to a halt in a number of ways. There were no comedy shows. Uh, was Letter did Letter Kenny shoot during the pandemic? You did at some point, but we had actually, yeah, we filmed in May and June of uh, last year. So we did. We actually block shot two seasons at the same time. Right. Uh, yeah, but other than that, like I, I at that point, I uh, you know I had done roast battle season one in april and then hadn't worked until uh may when we end of may when we did letter kenny and then uh as soon as letter kenny was done it was home and then uh yeah then this uh was at the end of july there were big breaks in the work <laughs> yeah yeah which you're probably not used to i mean normally it you know if i have not if i'm not shooting something i'm going on the road that's been the, the biggest change is uh i haven't i haven't been on a flight since uh uh i was in phoenix in two years ago <laughs> yeah. yeah it's so i you know I've, I've interviewed a lot of musicians a lot of uh comedians who said that this is the first time uh that they've uh, experienced summer at home for a lot of them because if you're you know in blue rodeo you're on tour uh for the entire summer almost every year and jim cuddy told me it's the first time in 20 years he's you know, seen a, a, a sunrise from his bedroom window at home uh, because uh, he's just always on the road. And, you know, it takes a little bit to work your head around it, I guess, because you get used to a certain thing. What do you miss about doing stand-up comedy? I, I, you know, the immediate response from the audiences, uh, you know, getting up there and performing live, uh, you know, it there's nothing like it. But uh, stand-up is, you know, one of the real addicting uh, performance styles because it's you uh, alone up there and if it goes well it's you but if it goes bad it's you too it's that's yeah. it's all you and those those immediate responses from the crowd the you know the the authentic and true interactions uh yeah, it's been a while been a while since i've got to experience that and also just there's something nice about being paid to go visit places that's you know, I've, I've, uh, I've got to see some lovely parts of this country and other countries, and someone's given me money to do it. And there's something really fun and cool about that. <laughs> he has such a great laugh. That was K. Trevor Wilson on The Richard Krause Show, talking about his new project, LOL, Last One Laughing Canada, which premieres on February 18th on Amazon. A big thanks to Trevor, and a big thanks to my other guest, David Pevsner, Find his fascinating memoir, Damn Shame, wherever you buy fine books. Of course, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon.